Single parenting isn't easy. We understand. Most parents don't plan to go it alone, but you can still make the most of this journey for your children and yourself. In fact, if you and your family are on that journey, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Single Parent Advocate community and to our podcast. And here are your hosts, single parent founder, Stacey Poitras, broadcast journalist, single dad and friend, Daryl Moody. Welcome back to the Single Parent Advocate Podcast. I am your co-host, uh, Daryl Moody. I'm joined once again by the single parent advocate, uh, Stacey Poitras, and we have a special guest joining us this week. Uh, she is a woman of strength. Her name is Jody Swanson. She uh, is a, an inspirational figure in the single parenting community, and uh, we brought her on today to share her story with you. Stacey, what do we have in store for folks this week? Well, so I'm super excited to have met Jody too. She's an amazing TEDx speaker. She's a photographer, fantastic single mom with a, a big heart for uh, people and for things that are, uh, I think, very, very emotionally healthy. And I think, uh, you know, we've been really talking a lot about mental wellness, mental well being. And I think we all arrive at mental and spiritual well-being in so many different ways. And I'm looking forward to digging into that part of, of Jody a little bit today. Honestly, Daryl. I'm excited to hear Jody's story. Jody, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and share your story? Well, first off, thank you both for that really lovely introduction. Uh, yes, I am a single mom. I'm based in Chicago. I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin and made my way here. Uh, my son his name is Lincoln. He's 12. He's about to be a teenager. And, you know, we deal with the typical, I, I work in technology during the day. And yesterday I'm running a meeting on camera and he comes running out and lifts his arm up and he goes, look, mom, I have arm hairs. And so it's kind of like, you can't predict what's going to happen day to day. That's part of the homeschooling journey, the, you know, so we're kind of a, a whimsical team that finds our way through. Um, you know, he has anxiety. He has ADHD and, you know, we sort through that. Uh, we, we spent a lot of time last year sorting through that and finding our way. And his therapist always said, and I steal this statement, you got to have your front. I'll have your back, but I need you to have your front. And so a lot of times we'll say, he'll come out. He's like, mom, I held my front this week. And I'm like, yeah, he, you sure did, you know, but I will say, um, I, I never planned on being a single mom. It, it's one of those things that you kind of get thrown into and you don't really have time to read books. You're just kind of, there it is. But as part of that journey of becoming a single mom, I started an art project that, you know, you were kind enough to mention called Women of Strength that really talked about the journey of coming out of a marriage, feeling lonely spaces, feeling fears, not knowing if you're doing it right with your kids. One of the things I say in my TEDx is, you know, will he hate me if I stay? Will he hate me if I go? So it's the journey of the unending questions you really don't know the correct answers to. What's one of the, oh, go ahead, Daryl. No, I was just going to say, Stacey, you had some thoughts on, on her TEDx uh, talk. Tell us about that. Well, so when I, uh, I got to meet Jody, and I, I got to, to, you know, really kind of get alone with her TEDx talk and focus on it, uh, I found myself, uh, you know, going through this journey of transparency, authenticity, and forgiveness. And not just forgiveness of what was going on outside of her being but it was like her journey to forgive and accept herself and let go of you know possibly some ideals of perfection and I always say you know it's not fair don't compare it's not fair don't compare and I always want single families to be able to feel whole as a single family and that note that she struck and in me was was uh, beautiful, and I um, maybe you could expound upon that a little bit, Jody, a little bit more about uh, your talk and and your 
photos and that presentation. Uh, sure. So the, my project called Women of Strength, I, my line for it is um, for women who didn't know how strong they were until they had to be. But I, I really want to say quickly that it's for men too, because I have a lot of men reach out to me that have very similar feelings. And when I started the project, I was going through, you know, the, those last months, years in your marriage where you're starting to face a reality you've been ignoring or not ready to acknowledge or whatever it may be. And initially it started, I was going to photograph women that were really inspirational to me as kind of my secret reminder of like, Jody, you got this, you can make it through. But, um, you know, no divorce is easy, uh, always painful. And when I came out of that, I started to see, you know, images in my head of like how I was feeling. And first I needed to study photography better <laughs> so they could match uh, what was going on in my head. And, and a, a valid question might be, hey, you know, you're a single mom, you're coming out of divorce, this is hard. How do you have time to study photography? It's one of the most popular questions I get. And, you know, after bedtime is a great time. I, I would devote a lot of time there. Uh, at the time I had joint custody. Now I have my son 24 seven, but on the days um, I didn't have him, I would like schedule. I'm a project manager for a living. So I'm like all about scheduling, but it actually helps. Even if you do something for yourself, say, you know, one day a week or one day a month for one hour, two hours, whatever, I'm going to take that to whatever passion it is I have. And I'm going to give myself to that because at least you feel like you're growing. And I feel I'm a better parent when I have like some sense of self, but the way I start my TEDx goes right in line with my project that says, well, where do you cry when you don't want anyone to know? Is it the shower, the car, or in the dark, especially if you're the one that's always expected to be strong, the one people fall back on. And what I didn't realize when I started posting those photos of myself, I ended up being the model because um, there wasn't anybody around to photograph, <laughs> you know, when after bedtime. And I didn't realize how many uh, truly lonely people that there are out there. And I think the thing about it is, is I was, and I didn't realize, but I was touching on loneliness that was like, let's say you're laying next in bed next to the person that's supposed to love you and you feel lonely next to the person that you want to love you, that you want to love, like that kind of loneliness. Um, the vulnerability of, I've taken photos about not even wanting to turn around and look at yourself in the mirror because you can't even like love yourself outwardly or inwardly and there's also the pain when people look at you and they think oh she has it all together she's got this or he does and they're good and not that they're meaning to put expectations on you but it's kind of expectations we put on ourselves because we're used to pulling up our bootstraps and just going i had this moment with my son where i had I took a photo about this. I had a, a cancer scare. I, I found a lump on my breast and it was, you know, at the worst possible time after I had lost my job of 13 years, they did sweeping layoffs and it all hit in the same week. And, you know, it, it turned out to be okay, but I had to go through like MRIs, ultrasounds. I'm going through it at Mayo Clinic. And during that time, it's very easy to compare and say, well, I, I can't say anything. I, you know, there's other people who have this and they have it worse or this person has it worse. And then when I found out it was okay, it's like, oh, well, I should be grateful because we always compare. We compare, compare, compare. And we don't give ourselves that break to say, you know what? Like, I'm scared. And because we're so used to being strong, we have those moments of saying, I'm scared, or we cry and we do it alone. And so 
with the TEDx, I talked about that journey of being alone in the relationship and looking at our children and trying to make the decision of what the right thing is to do. And you won't know. We won't know. I won't know until maybe 20 years from now. And he's like, yeah, mom, you should have done that. <laughs> or yeah, that, that was a good thing to do. And that is sometimes really hard to accept. But I will tell you that sometimes we get used to telling our story so much that it becomes a story. And then we have moments, we have triggers where we can be out and about. This just happened to me last night, as a matter of fact, an eight-year-old trigger. I stopped at a random gas station that just triggered a memory that I haven't been wow. there in eight years. And it was like right there for me, you know? And so as much, like you said, like this forgiveness, as much as we sort through, we sort through and we sort through work with the therapist, it <laughs> shows up. It shows up when we don't expect it. It's a constant journey. It's a lot about um, being critical. You know, I think sometimes we get inside voices mm -hmm. that are echo judgments or predispositions of people we learned from when we were young. And, you know, we, we, I wrote a poem called, you know, um, it was about, you know, what was supposed to be, you know, and how supposed to be is kind of what was supposed to be is kind of our enemy. Right. And uh, it was that poem was about when uh, I was really my son is uh, 21 and I was facing him uh, leaving. He was he had met a girl. He hadn't graduated high school yet. And I had raised him. He was in musical theater, had really clean cut friends and, you know, all these things going for him that we had really, you know, together planned and worked hard for. And, um, you know, I was fighting for my life to hang on to my boy. I, did, I, I couldn't get him away from that crowd he had chosen. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like a piece of my heart literally got ripped out of me. And you know, I had raised him as a single mom for about 15, 16 years. His dad was never in his life. Uh, he had, um, you know, never gotten a birthday card from his dad, never gotten uh, any phone call, you know. And so, you know, I was, I guess in a way, I considered my son to be my uh, you know, this, we're going through life together, you know, and so it felt like such a betrayal that he would grow up, find a girl and move away, <laughs> you know, I would just, you know, it was, you know, and so my poem that I wrote was about, you know, through my healing and through the times where I really had to find a safe place to cry. I mean, I had been in a ball on the floor at the foot of my guest bedroom bed for months months I couldn't I couldn't work I couldn't breathe I was devastated and so devastated I couldn't write anymore you know that I knew of I couldn't function as certainly not as a leader certainly not as uh you know a person that can you know guide the heart set and mindsets of others, or so I thought. And, you know, I, um, I had to learn to confess it, to confess my struggle. Yeah. And, and sometimes uh, that can be hard. The shame we put on ourselves. Yeah. So hard. But um, so I did. And then um, in that process, I uh, reached out to a friend of mine. She uh, was a single mom and we had locked arms early in the lives of our kids. Uh, she, um, her name is Sophia and she has a daughter and her daughter's very introverted and Sophia is very extroverted. And my son and I were kind of the, I'm a little more introverted and he's a little more extroverted. So we were kind of opposites. And then, um, you know, we were interracial two families, you know, and so she'd go pick up Chris at the daycare when he was young and 
he, she'd say, well, I'm Aunt Sophia. And they go, we know, or you are not Aunt Sophia because <laughs> she was with, you know, the same complexion. So we have a lot of funny stories, but circling back to the person that had been that close to me and to my son asking for help and saying, I'm not coping well. Uh, finding a safe place to cry, right? That's what we're talking about. Um, you know, making sure that we have those people in our lives that we set ourselves up to 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 help others as we help ourselves right and that means sometimes holding each other when we're devastated yeah you know whether we agree with the why behind the devastation or not right we're still a soul is suffering right exactly and that's the th that's the thing is that you know something here that may be easy for this person could be devastating for this person and that's okay. It's to the point of whatever that emotion is that they're feeling that they need that person there or somebody or something, you know, to just help them, comfort them, get through that moment. So tomorrow can come. Yeah. Sometimes and, and, they need tomorrow just to come. Well, I'll flash forward, you know, so with the involvement of my friend and everything, you know, she uh, really, she, she got on me like peanut butter, man. She, and she made me learn to, she goes, man, if you're not feeling it, do it. You know, you want to celebrate the wedding. You want to be in the wedding pictures. You want yes. to have a relationship with your son. You know, it might not be you agreeing on the how, but you can agree on the who, you know. And then now we ended up, you know, really come in full circle and I have a whole different relationship with him and his wife who I don't see as the enemy anymore and you know it's, it's just kind of like you know you found your way right and we all do it like one one ray of light at a time sometimes you know but I loved what you said about safe place to cry because I think when we're struggling with something that deep that's just my instance of it um we we get frozen we get frozen we get stuck we can build bad habits we can build bad attitudes that can really ruin our lives and ruin our kids lives yeah uh, you know i think i was going to say for me i you know I, I my safe place to cry is the shower but uh but i also you know having gone through as much counseling as i have in the last three plus years i've learned that it's okay to cry in front of my kids and i try to do that uh, or at least I try not to fight it when it happens. One of my biggest problems was that I would I would kind of block those emotions. So I've learned to to allow those emotions to happen. And you talk about the need for support. Uh, that's so critical uh, for me. I've just been kind of lucky that I have friends, uh, a good group of friends around me that we all kind of grew up together here in Central Florida. And uh, I have that emotional support, and it's and it's so crucial uh, as you're making this this trip. Yeah, you know I really appreciate that because one thing, if like I could start a campaign. It would be people to stop apologizing for crying, right? <laughs> so it's like when when a tear first comes out, their first reaction is, I'm sorry. But like we were designed with tears. We were designed to, for that. And it it's one of the most human things about us. And yet it's the thing we're very quickly to apologize for. And then on the flip side, you see the people who are uncomfortable with it. So to your point, Daryl, how you're trying to raise your kids to be comfortable with it. It's also like, if my son Lincoln sees it, it's not saying, well, why are you crying? Or, oh, we're watching a movie. Oh, you're crying. I want him to be comfortable with it. So he doesn't feel like he needs to say that. And yeah, it's, it is definitely something around the vulnerability of the tears that make people feel they need to apologize. And actually it's to me, the reverse that that is a sign of strength, not holding them back. To me, the strength is letting them go for others to see. And that's a perfect segue into what I want to ask you about women of strength. Talk to us about that project. Yeah. So um, I, I started it, uh, like I said, a little bit ago, you know, with, you know, photographing other women. And then I, took a step and posted a photo uh, of myself out there. And I didn't realize the number of lonely people out there. And 
or that how many people would respond to it. It has, it's on Facebook and it, you know, there's about 150,000 people following it right now, which is very touching. And on the other hand, it makes me sad in some ways because I wish that many people in the world, <clears throat> excuse me, didn't have to relate to it. Uh, like I said, I work in technology during the day. So my Women of Strength project and all the stuff I do outside of it is kind of my give back to the world. I always say my father's a minister and I always say it's not what my parents taught me so much or said to me so much as it is what they practice in their life. And so for me, it's very important for my son to see um, being comfortable about things that happen to us, like with his anxiety, like comfortable talking about it. it's something you don't need to be ashamed of, you know, in his, I have to tell you this story because last week he comes out here and he goes, mom, we had the best science class ever. He goes, you want to know what the topic was? He goes, ADHD. And he goes, <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he goes, it was so fascinating. Everybody was so engaged and it was so fun to talk about. And he's like, we shouldn't feel weird about talking about it, should we? And I'm like, no, not at all. I'm like, and so like that made me really happy that some of the things that we think are shameful, you know, if he finds in his own young journey starting out that it's just something to talk about, he can already at his age help even adults just by them witnessing his comfort level with talking about it. So yeah, the... Um, the project uh, kind of, you know, took a on a life of its own. And, and what I will say uh, to people who are like, I have so much, I can't even think about doing this. You know, you'll have social media people out there be like, hey, you have to post three times a day. You have to post this many times a week. You have to hire this person, do this, do that. Um, on my Women of Strength page, you will see there are gaps in my uh, amount I post because I have a day job and I'm a mom, <laughs> you know. You're so. a single working mom <laughs> yeah. with a career. <laughs> exactly. And so there were a couple times I posted every week and sometimes I post every other month. But it's one of those things that, you know, when I can, I put it out there. And the other thing I thought about is, you know, my parents had a farm for the last 15 years that sadly they had to uh, sell this past year. And I always thought about my mother in her 80s walking through the pasture. And that place, it's, it's very emotional for me because I feel very close to that land. But um, I always thought, you know, here's my mom walking through the pasture up in Wisconsin. How, if I made a photo that I wanted to help people out there, how would I get it to her? How would a woman like my mom see it? Would she see it in some gallery in downtown Chicago? No, she never has been in a gallery, nor was she ever going one, right? And my thought was, how do I reach the corners of the earth? How do I, how do, I do that? And, you know, that's one of the things with social media. It can be our biggest enemy, but it also has the potential to reach these small corners in the earth of maybe it's just that one person, if one photo helps one person get up the next day or move on or get through it. I suffered from postpartum depression and, you know, now I'm finding my way, but to the single parents listening, you better believe there were days I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed. Like I was crying. I was hurting. Like that's okay. And, you know, people would say it will pass and it did. But I understand that sometimes you don't even want to hear that, that you can't even process because it all feels so much. overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, I had somebody tell me, you know, with one of the photos, they're like, you are the reason I got up the next day. You helped me get up the next day because they were at a point in their life. They didn't know if they could keep doing it. That understanding that potential, like, changed everything for me because as scary and I have a photo sitting out there that I have yet to post I've been sitting on it eight years <laughs> it's wow. that it's that vulnerable for me I'm working on a book and I I think I'm going to put it in the book um it's that vulnerable for me but that's what helps give me the courage to put that pain out there 
is when someone like you sit, you know, you're like how the TEDx touched you. Like I couldn't watch, I haven't watched the TEDx in over a year. Um, I, I couldn't watch it like the first number of weeks. And then it's like one or two times. And then I'm like, I'm out. Cause it's, it's very raw and it, it's real for me. It's like my life. Right. And when you have that person such as yourself that says, this is how it touched me. It comforted me. It made me feel safe to feel. That's what gives me the strength to be braver. But so, isn't there something therapeutic in, in just putting it out there for you just to just the actual going through the motions of doing that? Isn't there something, sure. isn't there something therapeutic for you about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I should have mentioned that it's, you know, when I took the photos, I saw these visions, I didn't realize I was actually photographing triggers. And so when I photographed this and then I put it out there, I, it was, I was releasing that trigger. I was releasing that moment of loneliness and, and don't get me wrong. And as many of my photos, I'll say, this is what it's about. And it's true, but my photos have multiple layers and there are there are in my photos pieces hidden in there that are my private moments, even though they're out there. So I have layers in there. So absolutely, it's cathartic healing for sure. You know, there was one thing I wanted to, to ask you, you know, um, for so long, I, I worked um, and I'm trying now to really make single parent advocate more front burner in my life. I'm going through a change where I have taken the, the bullet, if you would say, career wise, and I'm, you know, no longer working for a big digital company in a big digital role. And I'm uh, putting both feet into this. But I remember working full time like that and the power of a good boss and being selective about who you go to work for and being transparent and authentic about your single parent journey with that boss so they can help you. And I was wondering if maybe you, Mike, could speak to that a little bit. Oh, I could, I could speak to that for days. <laughs> that, I'm so glad you uh, directed me that direction because it's a topic I am very happy to talk about because it is essential. And I, I say this to you managers now, like you play as big a role as the family or friends or chosen family, whoever that may be, in helping our children grow up. And the thing is, I'm very blessed to have a manager that was a single mom. Um, Dawn, she's even known when I've had the hard days and you know, I'll never forget this one time. It was an exceptionally tough day. And she's like, no, she's like, not today. And, you know, cause she knew what I needed. She knew I was about to go down. She assigned me another project and she goes, not today. She goes, we, we got to get you through this. And she goes, we're going to, you know, channel your thoughts this direction. But she is, I, and I work for um, like the best company I can imagine working for. I work for Cisco Systems and they have all this support for single parents, for anybody who has, you know, disabilities, cancer networks, you know, every type of culture, everything, they're there for you and they talk about it openly. And that is so important because that also empowers my manager to empower me. It's a, it's a you know, a full ripple effect. I mean, I, I had moments where I went to the school every day to see the principal with my son and my boss was right there. And I'll even tell this story because I think this is important for managers to hear. Even if, you know, you don't have kids or whatever, I think it is important for you to hear this. So I, you make sacrifices in your career being a single parent. You just do. I can't accept the jobs where I'm traveling here and doing this because I have to be here for him. And there was this project that came up and my boss I'm in Chicago. It was in New York. She goes, I really, really want you to have this project. And she goes, but there's this workshop and you got to be there present. She goes, 
I'll fly to New York and watch your son for you so you can do this project. That is commitment. That is how you show. You just don't talk about it. You show by actions. And she said to me, she goes, I'll tell you why. Because she's a single mom of two boys. I have one son. So the parents who do it with multiple children, hands down to you because I got my hands full here, right? And she said her son earlier in her career had a football game. And her boss found out about it. And she was supposed to fly, I think, to Florida for this type of change window workshop for work. Her boss found out her son had a football game and he said no. And he flew to Florida and did the workshop and told her to go to her son's football game. And so, and I get back to, it means so much when you have a company that empowers the managers to be there, to be there for the employees, whether it be illnesses, aging parents, whatever it may be, that's huge for us to show up like robots and think that we have nothing happening outside of our world, you know, isn't yeah. to me a realistic thought process, even going through divorce, right? Trying to work and going through divorce. Oh, well, that- I think, you know, one of the things that, that I thought was so well said about, I mean, she I really loved working for the woman I worked with. Now, she was not a single parent, but she was, you know, very uh, insightful. And she she told me, you know, when I was telling her all my wacky things going on and all the things, I said, you know, I might get around to doing everything a little bit differently than everyone else or, or maybe compared to what you expect, but I will get it done and I'm going to get it done well, it's not going to be halfway. And, um, you know, so I was doing digital media and television advertising for, you know, big companies. And uh, I just led with transparency and responsibility. They were like the two sides of my coin. And she, she and I had a deal. And her deal was this. She said, well, we'll do it your way. And if that doesn't work, we're going to have to do it mine. <laughs> You know, that, that was just so well, concisely said, like, hey, I'm going to give you a chance. And then throughout the whole time I was there, you know, she would always consider my input and later promoted me. And uh, I stepped up to that, you know, until I just, you know, I needed to move on. But it was amazing to have a manager like that. I always when I when I reach out uh, to to the community publicly myself. I always ask the the working uh, leadership, you know, and and that when I say working leadership, I'm not just talking about a a big corporation like Cisco. I'm talking about the person that has a real estate brokerage in a small town or a medium town Mm -hmm. or somebody who's got a, a grocery store or a florist or, you know, any kind of business sector, any kind of size. If collectively we take responsibility for the opportunities we create such that this type of family can succeed without, uh, you know, being on an oxygen mask, we will positively affect the next generation. And we percent seriously. A hundred percent. Cause like, even with my son, you know, he's the, the guys and gals I work with are like, Hey, you know, here's a hacking workshop or a coding workshop or whatever workshop that your son can already take. And he can see how, you know, my manager Cisco has been there for me and it comforts him. He's like, maybe that's what I want to start looking into. I mean, he's for the, I mean, he's 12 and, you know, for the last year or so, a little bit more, he's been learning coding. He's been, you know, doing all this other stuff at a young age because he's like, that's a place I could go to. And you're setting, like, you're so right. We're setting the precedent for the next generation. It, you know, excites them to be like, oh, I want to do that. Or I have the option to explore this or that because they're there for my mom. And how many generations are currently here on earth now, right? You know, we have, you know, the, the boomers, the Gen X, the Gen Z, Gen Y, right? Uh, all the millennials and, 
you know, so regardless of your place in the lineup, if you will, you do have the opportunity to create opportunities of some kind, whether that's for, you know, even if there's, um, you know, a way to pick up somebody's kids for them, create a carpool, do collaborative, like you were talking about earlier, collaborative childcare, um, you know, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. You know, it might cost you some transparency. <laughs> and, and that's so true. And something as simple as, and this this might strike a painful chord for some people listening, because I know it was really painful for me. And I don't think I've spoken openly about this, but is having um, an emergency contact. Like sometimes you don't have that. And it's like, they're like, okay, you need two emergency contacts and you're sitting there. Or like when you're filling a questionnaire out at the doctor's office and let's say there's somebody who wants to have another child and you get the question again and again, do you, you know, are you planning on getting pregnant or what's your history or what's this, those questionnaires, those can be really painful. I had that moment where it's like, I don't have my emergency contact that's within a couple mile radius of me because of everything I sorted through and had to go through. I think that makes the employer all the more important. Uh, I know for me, in my situation, uh, when I was getting divorced, I was I was a morning reporter for the for Morning Drive, and we do a live show from five a.m. to nine a.m. And I, you know, I have a joke. I never know where I'll be every morning because I have no control over who shoots who overnight. So I could be on this side of town or that side of town, and that was fine when I was married. But you know, as I was preparing to take my kids for equal shared custody, I had to, to have a real conversation with my boss where I was like, "Hey, look." you know, you guys have got to find a way to accommodate for the, this for me, or I've got, or I'm going to leave. I can't, you know, I'm not going to be able to keep this job. And thankfully for me on the mornings when I have my kids and so that I can get them to school, I start the day working at home and I'll file, you know, four to six stories here at the house. And then at six 30, the kids wake up and then it's, you know, it's, it's breakfast, it's packing the bags, it's getting in the car and it's driving to school. And, and, you know, I arrive at work by 9.00 AM, uh, and then, you know, the morning show's over and, and, you know, in the case today, I got to work at 830 and, and by, you know, 930 or 10 o'clock, I was at a FEMA vaccine site for a, a press conference with a member of Congress. So, uh, you know, the role our employers play in our lives as single parents is so critical. And, and the one that you choose is uh, every bit as important as, as choosing anybody else in your life. So uh, it's I, always I, been a dream of mine, Daryl, to do a report of, uh, you know, that type of information for families to know, you know, like these are, are who really understand and can help you have a successful career and work-life balance. Because I think work-life work -life balance is a nice buzzword that we hear a lot of times, but not, it doesn't work itself out in the work culture every uh, you know, as you think it's going to in every different place to work, you know, work oh, yeah. balance means you, something different. Yeah. When you've got a boss who tells you, Hey, look, you need to take the day off and, and you're, and you're not going to suffer any repercussions for it. That's somebody you should work for, for the rest of your life. Yeah. That Cisco actually just did that Monday. They gave the entire company uh, the day off to recharge. Um, you know, but one thing I was going to mention actually that a friend said to me that really helped me and kind of, I don't want to say my freedom, but feeling my sense of self is that, you know, your kids really can kind of go with you anywhere. So to give you an idea of that, uh, I always love to dance, right? And when COVID wasn't on down at uh, Chicago, they have a Chicago summer festival where it's free dancing, free lessons. I'd bring Lincoln with me, set him up. And I'm taking lessons and I'm dancing, you know, and it's funny because in time he's like, maybe I want to dance. And what I've realized is sometimes we're holding our kids back from too many experiences because we're thinking we can't enjoy it or, you know, somebody needs to watch them and then we don't do it all together. And it's like, there are time periods where, yeah, it, it's nice to have a break, but you can also kind of feel that break when you go and you take them with you and you're like, you know what, kid, this is what we're doing. We're going, we're going here. We're doing this. We're doing that. And it's like, okay. <laughs> you know, I take and my son with me everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Dancing too. He yes. had, he had his hot wheels and we just had to promise 
that he would not roll them so hard across the floor that he scratched the wood. That would have been a no-no. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, that's part of it. But I will say, and I think it's important to acknowledge, you know, for anybody now who's finding themselves as a first-time single parent, or you're finding yourself as a single parent taking on um, more and more responsibility or fears, it's just the shift of figuring out your way. And there's that initial, like, how am I going to do this? You're going to have to shift some stuff. It's not a bad new normal. It's just a different thing. And it's just like, you know, essentially when you have a project at work and you have to find a different way to get it done, that's what you do. But initially that fear is real, but well, to bring just, up a point. You know, Oh, to ahead. bring up a point that you made about, you know, not losing your sense of self and, and taking your kids with you, you know, it's, it's, it's really important that you share your interests with your kids mm -hmm. and you take your kids to do what you like to do so that they experience that, you know, we all, you know, people who grow up sports fans, they grow up sports fans because they grew up watching games with their dad or, or yeah. their mom. And, you know, for me, I, I call, I, I'm a golfer. And I call it Operation Indoctrination. Here, where I live in Orlando this week, and we've got the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, it's a PGA tournament. And I dragged my, my oldest daughter to her first golf tournament when she was two and a half. And, you know, I, I get media credentials so I can get on the grounds all week. And I, I'll never forget, uh, I was about to take her out there on a Sunday, and I'm squatted down. I'm giving her the business, telling her, you know, if you give me a hard time, we're going to turn right around and go home. And this woman pulls up in a car and she goes, come here, little girl. And she says, yeah, I got something I want to give you. And she gives my daughter a golf ball. And she goes, that golf ball belongs to the guy who's going to win the golf tournament. And he came all the way from Australia. And I immediately knew who she was talking about. She's talking about Jason Day. So I snatched the ball out of my daughter's hand. I looked at it. And sure enough, there's the there's the uh, kangaroo logo that's on his golf ball. <laughs> and to this day, my daughter is a Jason Day fan because he ended up winning the tournament that day. And so she had, and it was two years later, he was playing again and we were following uh, Jason Day on a Friday. And, and from the, from the, you know, from behind the ropes, my kid yells out, Jason Day, you're my favorite golfer. So then he comes and gives her a golf ball. So now she's got two golf balls from Jason Day. And uh, my kid, Kids are going to be golf fans for the rest of their life, but that's, you know, that's just my, I call it operation indoctrination, but that's my way of trying to share one of my things that I enjoy, uh, which is golf. And my, you know, Elise, my seven-year-old has probably been to a dozen different golf tournaments since then. And uh, Claire is just a few behind her and, uh, but we love doing it. And, and they're, you know, they can identify golfers on TV now and, and it, you know, they're into it just like I am. And it's, you know, sometimes they will even say, dad, can we watch golf? You know? And when it's oh, a wow. Saturday or Sunday morning, you know, you can get the European PGA tour is on the golf channel. So we'll watch Willie we'll breakfast and watch, you know, European PGA tour golf. And it was so funny. The moment when I realized that I had connected with my youngest daughter and that she was getting it, she was, I don't know, maybe two and a half, not even three. And she's sitting in the high chair and we're watching, we're watching golf. And, and the, 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 the guy hits a bad shot and it goes into the, into the rough and it doesn't land in the fairway. So the camera follows it in and it lands in the rough and, you know, buries itself in the grass. And my, you know, then three-year-old goes, uh-oh, that's not good. So I knew that, that, you know, Claire was retaining much of what we were watching. So, and to this day, you know, we, you know, we always watch golf. You bring up such a great point. I think it's, and I want to touch on this a second because Somebody corrected me and I needed to be corrected, especially as it relates to, um, you know, maybe like single moms being, you know, the single parent to a boy or fathers to a daughter or transgender or whatever it may be. Um, somebody corrected me on this because we were camping and I said, yeah, I said, you know, there's moments my son's getting older and, you know, who's going to have that man-to-man -man talk with him you know I said those are moments I feel it and he said Jody no he said here's the thing he goes we need more women having these talks with their sons because it teaches them that they can have open communication when they grow up later in life in their relationships you know sure. and on the flip side with anything else and, the, and I think also about how you say as it relates to the sports right so I live by Wrigley Field and I heard that there were these guys that sit outside the stadium and catch the homers that come out of the stadium. And in 2015, like there's all this excitement, the Cubs are going to the playoffs and I'm like, okay, 
like, how, how do I get my son part of this? Like, what do I do? I'm literally scratching my head to figure it out. And so I'm like, okay, we rode our bikes down and I'm like, I'm just going to sit on Waveland for the catch the balls. Well, long story short, the guys that sit out there are called ball hawks. There's a documentary done by uh, Bill Murray on it. And these guys have caught like five, 6,000 balls each easily. And they adopted my son basically out there. And, you know, we're working with him on playing catch. They took one of those orange cones, those, you know, that you see on the street, they put a mm -hmm. ball on it and used it as T-ball, <laughs> like, oh, wow. you know? And, and so it's like, if we feel that guilt, like, hey, we don't know how to have this conversation or do that or introduce them, it's actually just expanding them because we may have to think of more creative ways or whatever, but we're kind of expanding the experience. And I think it makes it more beautiful. So I appreciate that story about, you know, yeah. you taking your daughters there. That's beautiful. Yeah, there we was love this it. one. Oh, sorry, Daryl, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, we, we love golf now. <laughs> there was, okay, so y'all are both kind of touching on this concept uh, that, I, that I had and it was, you know, uh, in my son's life, like I mentioned, he he did the same thing. I tried to get him to do Boy Scouts. I took him to soccer. I, you know, like I just assumed that all the things that I love, you know, they just wouldn't qualify for a, a boy, you know, and I wanted him to be able to do all the things. And so he ended up loving music and theater and uh, all the the things I was like, oh, you don't want to do that. But, you know, that's too girly. And he's an incredible dancer. He can sing, he can memorize lines with the best actors. You know, he's, he was just like a little Johnny Depp on stage, even when he had one of the dark characters to play, <laughs> you know. And um, so it is important, right, that we create what I call, a for me, it was a neutral male role model. And a neutral male role model was a place where my son could go in a safe environment and ask questions that he didn't want to talk to me about since his dad was never around. We didn't even know his dad's phone number. You know, I, you know, I, that was like not an option for us. And so I went you know, in my church, I went, I went to church with my son and um, they uh, paired us up with a, a man. Um, his name is Big John. And Big John and my son, you know, when he was about like maybe 10 or 11, they would study, you know, uh, together and they'd go on field trips and, and even all the way up until the day he got married, Big John, you know, is his neutral male role model. He can go talk to him about anything and um, I may or may not know about it. And that gave my son that, that the best of my ability, the best kind of person I could find to put into his life to create that sounding board. Cause I knew he'd have questions and there'd probably be some things about me he'd, <laughs> you know, even challenge, right? You know, and so that's been, and I think the same for, you know, like if you're a single father or male raising girls, you know, you might be a single grandfather or an uncle but you, you know, create a way for them if there's not a family member or maybe there's lots of family members, but those aren't the, the people that you would turn your child's mind and heart over to, find a neutral female role model that you, that you align with and core values and you can create a, an understanding um, with and open like you grow your child's um mind and heart with those people's inputs and sometimes your own right yeah lincoln has um you know he has a few people that i've told him he can reach out to um male and female you know and, and it's funny because i said okay i'm like if you get in trouble and you don't want to tell mom these are the people you can go talk to. <laughs> I said, or these are the people you call. And I said, you know, they're safe. I completely trust them. I know they would give him yep. the best advice. Um, but as a parent, it's us kind of like, you know, maybe I'd be okay not knowing that for like 10 years or something. I'm not there yet, but I know I'm, I know it's coming. 
I'm certain there's stuff I don't know, and I probably will never know. It'll it'll die with Big John. But Big John is now a Lego YouTube star, and he has this whole Lego kingdom on YouTube. <laughs> oh my you goodness! Know, it ended up being kind of fun, you know. So anyway, well, I would love to leave our community with your information so they can connect with you directly and I would like to stay friends of course and I know Daryl would too would you would you just tell us all how to how to stay with you oh that's very sweet of you yes I I've been very touched by you guys it was kind of a random meeting how that happened so I believe that it was meant to be but there are no accidents (laughs) right um so my project on Facebook it's called uh, it's facebook.com the women of strength you have to have a the in front of it and uh, you can message me there or if people want to email me you can email me at wos stands for women of strength movement at gmail.com um I may not be able to get back to you right away because you know the whole single mom busy life, but um, know that I, I read them all and I will do my best to get back. And I think most importantly, uh, you're not alone. That if in some way I can help, you know, you realize even through a photo or something said here today between the three of us, that makes it a little easier for you tomorrow. Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, that's what we always talk about wanting to accomplish with this podcast is to be a source of strength, emotional support, and, and maybe tips and tricks. And, you know, we're trying to uh, create this community uh, of single parents. We're all in this, in this uh, situation together, so to speak, even though our circumstances are all different. But uh, certainly appreciate what you had to share with us, Jody, And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have you on again for sure. Oh, well, yeah, thank you. You're that. family now, girl. <laughs> well, you know what? I... I love what you're doing. I look through your stuff. I, you know, listened to your podcast. I, I love what you're doing. It's so needed out there. And I'll tell you, when I first became a single mom, I would have loved finding something like this. And I, I didn't even know to look for it. And so I appreciate so much being able to just help get that message of what you're doing out there. I love what you're doing for single moms and dads. Yes, we need that help. So this month is single parent month. The actual single parent day is on March 21st. So we'll be having a big celebration for that. We're going to be doing a raffle. We're raffling off three pieces of art. Um, There's, if you go to the donate button on our uh, website, you can go and, and donate to help single parents if you guys want singleparentadvocate.org is that website and um, I would just challenge everybody to join us on Facebook again single parent advocate that's where our largest population is but we're also on Instagram and uh, Twitter actually you can follow us on Twitter and YouTube so we will be bringing Miss Jody Swanson back again I just know it and uh, line up with us on Facebook, line up with us on, on Instagram, Twitter. Make time for yourselves and your kids on National Single Parent Day, which is March 21st on Sunday. And if you want to support single families, hop online and give us a donation and we're going to reinvest into some people's lives. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's a lot of beautiful right there. Mm-hmm.